Well, good evening. This is, this is, this is high even for me. This is like, um, it's great to be here with you. I'm, I'm from um, Bradford in, in Yorkshire. Uh, anybody here ever been to Bradford? Yeah? I bet that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, you won't go there again. And um, so I've been out and about in Essex and Buckinghamshire and various pl- I don't even know where I am now. But uh, I, I've got a sat enough to get me home tonight after here. But it's great to be here. Thank you, Gary, for allowing me to come along. I'll just share very quickly a little bit about myself. Um, for the past seven years, I was co-pastoring a church in Bradford. Um, but I've always had an interest in new religious movements. Um, before I became a Christian a number of years ago, I spent nearly four years with Jehovah's Witnesses, believing I had the truth uh, until I found out that I didn't and that Jesus was the truth and, and came to him. So I've always had a heart for people that are, are stuck in these groups. Many people get caught in these groups um, because they're searching, earnestly searching for, for purpose and meaning. They have questions and they come across these guys knocking on their doors and so they end up in these groups and so, so it was for me. So in, in between everything today, I'll share a little bit of my story with you. Um, but at the moment, I, I left that position as, as a pastor back in August with the blessing of the church. I think they were trying to get rid of me. And um, so now I'm an itinerant evangelist, oh, it sounds very grand, to uh, new religious movements, particularly Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, but other groups as well. And I do things like this, and this is the kind of things I want to do and, and begin to produce resources for Christians to enable you to feel confident to talk to these people and to share the gospel with them. Every time a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, there's a gospel opportunity um, somebody needs to tell them the truth and uh, you know they, they don't need you to set the dog on them which I know some Christians do or, or pull a knife on them or something or even pretend you're out and hide behind the settee which I know some Christians do and they, want, they need someone to tell them about Jesus and so hopefully tonight I can just encourage you to do that because as soon as I leave tonight I'm going to pray that this week a Jehovah's Witness will knock on every door of, of, of uh, a sawbridge with and um, yeah, you'll have to deal with it. So that's where we go in a little bit tonight. Is that okay? So I'm going to share a little bit of what they believe and uh, a little bit about what's going on in their heads and then some ideas of how we can engage them in discussion. I don't have um, a magic bullet. I'm really sorry. You know, you might think, oh, I've got this guy coming tonight. He'll tell us exactly what to say. And so the next time a Jehovah's Witness is on my doorstep, I will say what Tony said and they will fall on their knees and accept Jesus as Lord. Um, I, I don't have that answer, but um, God can use us, and he is using us to see people freed from these cults. So be encouraged about that. So I'm going to engage with you a little bit. I hope that's okay. Uh, I have a website, which is fairly newish, so there's still a lot more work to go. But beyond tonight, you can have a, a look at the website. I've got some cards here. You can take one away if you want with the details on. And there's information there, particularly about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, but as I go along, we'll update it with all kinds of other things as well. The Bible tells us this. This is the great um, apologetic verse in the Bible. Uh, is 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the idea is that if somebody... Um, asks us about why we're believers or engages in discussion or you've got witnesses or Mormons on your doorstep, you can give an answer for why you believe what you believe. And one of the things I'm finding as I go out and about and talk is that Christians don't feel very confident in sharing with these people because you believe certain things, but you're not quite sure why you believe them or, or you can't explain them. So for a Jehovah's Witness, for example, they're so hot on the Trinity and, and the deity of Christ, that if you're not sure why you believe that, if you're believing that tonight just because Gary tells you it's true, that's not going to be enough to defend you when you have a Jehovah's Witness on your doorstep. So don't get in that discussion with them. But we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, uh, please forgive me. I'm, I'm just going to change one word in the Bible here. The Lord's allowed me to do it before, not zapped me. So I think it's okay. But this is Paul talking about Israel. But if we remove the, remove the word Israel and stick Jehovah's Witnesses in there, it could be any group. This is my testimony about them. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Jehovah's Witnesses is that they may be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, and boy, do they have a zeal for what they're doing. Um, They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they're being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of, uh, for righteousness to everyone who believes. And if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, they're incredibly zealous. They are everywhere. And uh, they're not only knocking on our doors, they're in our town centers, they're at train stations and bus stations and um, with their literature. And uh, yeah, they're gaining converts because of all their activity. So here's a, here's a first question just to suss you out. Uh, what do you know about Jehovah's Witnesses? Anything? Even if you're not sure if it's right, just anybody want to share anything? They don't celebrate birthdays, correct? Miserable beggars. They, yeah, they don't give presents at Christmas. They think birthdays and, and Christmas are both pagan festivals which you shouldn't take part in. Yeah, they don't have blood transfusions, which is obviously a massive issue when you need a blood transfusion. Well, they'll, they'll claim that Jesus is the Son of God, but like many cults, they mean something different by that. And that's another thing um, for us to remember. When we're talking to these people, many of them will use the same language we use and the same terms. So you can be fooled if you don't know anything. You think, well, it sounds like a Christian to me. Particularly the Mormons, they're terrible. They use all the same language, but they mean something completely different by it. Um, so yeah, they, they say Son of God, but they mean something very different by that. We'll mention that a little bit later. Anything else? Uh, Slightly before that, yeah, in the 1870s. uh, First came about through Charles Taze Russell. But yeah, they've been around a little while. And since 1870, the end of the world is coming to a city near you. And he's still coming really, really soon. So uh, that's a big thing for them. Maybe one more? Yeah, they, they believe Jesus died, but not on a cross. So they, we, we say cross, they say a torture stick, which is an upright pole. And they always have images of Jesus um, dying like that. For, for, you know, many times, certainly in the early days of me trying to engage these guys, I would get into big discussions about things like Christmas and cross. They're not the issues. They're red herrings. So we, we, we don't need to go down there. Does it matter whether Jesus died like that or like that or that he died for you and you can be forgiven of your sin because of him? So we'll look at some of those things, because some of those things are red herrings. And the Jehovah's Witnesses, if you've talked to them, will very quickly take you to somewhere like that if you're trying to put them in a place they don't want to go. So you'll be talking about Jesus or sin or how a person's saved, and then they'll suddenly blurt out, yeah, but you celebrate Christmas, don't you? So what's that got to do with anything? You know, so just be aware of that. Um, what kind of person would join the Jehovah's Witnesses, do you think? Again, just quick words. Vulnerable. Searching. Family, maybe for family, yeah? Anyone, good, well done, you win the prize tonight. I haven't got a prize, but if I had, you'd be the winner. Yeah, anyone can join the Jehovah's Witnesses or any cults. Normally when I ask that question, people say, you know, uh, sad people, lonely people, Billy no mates, you know, got no friends. And then I remind them that I joined this group. You know, thanks very much. But the reality is no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, I'm going to join a cult today. But they get recruited into a cult. And that's what we need to be aware of with these groups. They have a methodology to, to get you in. And everyone and anyone can be susceptible to that. So you might be sat here to, tonight, and when I tell you some of the things, I'd never join a group like that. It's mad. But people do. Very intelligent people do. Notice how I said very intelligent rather than sad and lonely. Anyway, um, yeah, anyone can join one of these groups. This is what Dr. Walter Martin said. He's famous for writing a book called Kingdom of the Cults. He said, the average Jehovah's Witness can make a doctrinal pretzel out of the average Christian in about 30 seconds. Uh, and that seems to be the case, doesn't it? You know, you get them on your door, and suddenly they've got the Bible out, and they're showing you this verse, and this verse, and this verse, and you're like, oh my goodness, I wish I'd have set the dog on them. 
Um, you know, but, uh, so you, we get frightened of sharing with these guys because we think they know their Bible so well. But in reality, they know what they know very well. But there's lots of places in the Bible they never touch. They're clueless about. And one of the things we need to do with these guys is to take them to a place they're not prepared for. Because they are prepared for most of the things we will share with them. They're very ready for a debate about the deity of Christ. Very ready for a discussion about the Trinity. Um, so we, we need to sort of think, well, where, where do I go with that? More of that in a moment. Just a quick overview of, of the Jehovah's Witnesses and biblical Christianity. And if you disagree with anything on here on the biblical Christianity side, have a chat with Gary afterwards. Um, so they have their own Bible called the New World Translation. Um, we're going to talk more about that in a little while, where, of course, we have various versions of the Bible. And their God is Unitarian, where our God is Trinitarian, where we're Trinitarian, triune God. They believe Jesus is the Son of God, as we've already mentioned, but they mean something else by it. They believe Jesus is not eternal, and that he's also the Archangel Michael. For us, Jesus is Son of God, he's eternal, and he is God. The Holy Spirit to Jehovah's Witnesses is just an impersonal force. They say it's God's active force. Sounds like Star Wars more than the Bible, doesn't it? Uh, where for us, the Holy Spirit is personal and he's part of the triune God. Salvation for Jehovah's Witnesses, like it is for all cults and all other religions outside of Christianity, is by faith and works in some form, where we know it's by faith alone in Christ alone. Heaven for Jehovah's Witnesses, there's only 144,000 going there, where we know it's for all who believe. Hell for Jehovah's Witnesses is just the grave. When you're, you're dead, you're dead, you're gone, that's it. No more to exist. Where the Bible teaches that hell is in a place of eternal separation from God and torment. So you can see, if you just look at those things there, the Jehovah's Witnesses like to call themselves, we are Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. But just a, a short sort of cursory look at some of their teaching there, you see very clearly they're far from biblical, historical, orthodox Christianity. But they claim they're the only true Christians. Let's just think about a few, few of the things that are issues for Jehovah's Witnesses. So this one here is that they're insistent that God's name is Jehovah and you must use that name. Oops, going too quickly. They're very keen to show you, if you have a King James Bible, which I had a King James Bible, got it from somewhere when I first met with them, and they said, do you know God has a name? Well, I didn't have a clue, I wasn't brought up in the Christian family or anything, so it could have shown me anything, but in the King James Bible, they showed me Psalm 83, 18, and it says this, it says that men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah art the most high over all the earth. And then they reason with you, well, you know, the name Jehovah has been taken out of the Bible, and all our Bible has done is, is put it back in again where it should be. So in the Old Testament, where you have the word Lord in capital letters, that's where they will have the word Jehovah. So they get the name from Psalm, four, uh, not Psalm, what I'm talking about, Isaiah 43.10, they get the name from there which in our Bible would probably say, um, you are my witnesses, is the utterance of the Lord. In theirs it says, you are my witnesses, is the utterance of Jehovah. So they are Jehovah's witnesses. That's where they get the name from. And they put the name Jehovah all over the Bible. In the Old Testament and in the New, they say where the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament, they're justified in doing that. But they've all cited it in places that it's not justified. But they get the... Why is it there? Oh, there it is. So the, the Hebrew uh, four letters called the Tetragrammaton, um, where we have Lord, is there. So it translates as YHWH, and that's where you get the name Yahweh from. Uh, there was no vowels there. Vowel points had to be added. So even though we... And Jehovah's Witnesses will admit this... The nearest we can get to God's name is Yahweh. And it, we're not even sure if that's exactly right because we're sticking some vowels in there. We're not ex exactly sure. So they anglicize that. So instead of YHWH, they make it JHVH. 
And then a good question to the Jehovah's Witnesses, where did he get the vowels from to put it in a J-H-V-H? And they took the Greek word Adonai, and they took vowels from that, stuck them in there, and made up this name, Yahovah. And apparently they will admit, and it's in their literature, that the first time this name was used was in the 13th century by a Catholic monk. It's in their literature that, but they don't like to hear that. Because it comes from a Catholic monk, really? So what I'm basically saying is, they're insistent that the name Jehovah is right, but it's not. And I have no problem with any of us using Jehovah. I don't know if you're singing this church, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. There's not a problem with that. It's their insistence that that is God's name. And if you really push them on this, honest Jehovah's Witnesses, and there are some, will say, well, at least we're trying to make God's name. We're trying the best we can. And I make a, you know, an illustration and say, well, look, you know, my name is Tony. But if every time we met you called me Tiny, and you say, well, I'm trying to get your name right, I wouldn't be happy because Tiny is not my name. It's Tony. So do you think God's happy with you just making things up? But again, maybe you don't need to get in a big argument about this with them. You can let this issue go. But for them, it's a massive issue. They are Jehovah's Witnesses. By the way, Acts 1.8 has Jesus saying to his disciples, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, um, and to the ends of the earth. And so it's good to say, well, actually, I'm a Jesus witness. And take them to Acts 1.8 and say, because Jesus said, we'll be his witnesses, not Jehovah's witnesses. But you get an idea of where they come from. That's a big issue for them. What about the watchtower Jesus? Well, one of the things they'll say is our Bible is just a more modern translation and, you know, it's just, it's just in easier English. So it's best if you use our Bible. Let me give you one of our Bibles to use. But it's been changed big time in many, in many places. So John 1.1 1, 1 is an obvious place. In our Bible, it would say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. To Jehovah's Witnesses, the Word is Jesus. So the Bible there is saying, Jesus was God, John 1.1. 1, 1. But in their Bible... It says, in the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's a big difference. That's not a, that's not a minor difference. Now, it's interesting. You can, you can get into a bit of discussion with Jehovah's Witnesses about this. This is a fun thing to do. You're not supposed to have fun with Jehovah's Witnesses, but this is a fun thing to do. Is get them to discuss this with you and say, well, you believe Jesus is a God, small g, now, in a Jehovah's Witnesses' mind, big G is Jehovah, small g is someone who's not Jehovah. So, for example, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, meaning Satan. That's a small g. Take them to 2 Corinthians 4.4 and say that, it says Satan's the God of this world. So, is Satan a true God? And they'll say, no, of course he's not a true God, he's a false God. And then go back here and say, well, you've got Jesus as a God. Is Jesus a true God or a false God? They can't answer that question. How can they answer that question? Because you are going to act so shocked with whatever they answer. So if they say, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is a true God, you're shocked. You believe in two true gods? And they'll backtrack very quickly. Oh, no, 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 we don't believe in two true gods. So Jesus is a false God? Oh, no, we don't believe Jesus is a false God. Well, what kind of God is he? And get them to consider that, the fact that they've put Jesus as a God. And what they believe about Jesus is he's not the one true God, but he's not a false God. And they've created an unbiblical category of a God-like one or a divine God. Or they'll say something like this, well, Jehovah is almighty God, but Jesus is mighty God. Isaiah 9.6 calls Jesus mighty God. But even in their Bible, it's big G. Point that to them. So it's big G. You told me that was the God. And get them to think about this. I once heard um, someone talking about this. Heard of someone talking about this with Jehovah's Witnesses. And the poor Jehovah's Witness was so confused. When the Christian asked them, well, can you just tell me how many gods do you actually believe in? They were so confused, they said, one and a half. And they are confused. Doesn't make sense. Challenge them on this. After you've challenged them on that, say, can I take you to another verse? Have them read John 20, 28 in their Bible. 
This is what it says in their Bible. Thomas reappears to Jesus. You know, he's already reappeared to the others. He appears to doubting Thomas. And when Thomas sees the risen Jesus, what does he say to Jesus? He says, my Lord and my God. And even in their Bible, look, big G. And say, well, you just told me big G is Jehovah. That's big God. So Thomas here is saying, my Lord and my Jehovah. That's what he's saying. And again, they don't really have an answer for that. And they come out with the craziest of things, bless them. You know, I've heard them say things like this. Well, Thomas looked to Jesus and he said, my Lord. And then he looked up to heaven to Jehovah and said, my God. You can get that out of that text? Really? And they don't have an answer for it. And what you're doing is you're beginning to challenge some of the things that they've been taught. And you're going to show them things in the Bible. So when you show them a verse like John 20, 28, don't let them get away with it. Don't let them jump around somewhere else. Don't let them say, well, you celebrate Christmas, don't you? Don't let them get away with it. Say, what does the word of God say? And if they disagree with it, say, you're disagreeing with the word of God. Not with me. It's the word of God. Thomas believed Jesus was God. Why don't you? And start to challenge them on some of these things. Just a quick overview of the Watchtower Jesus, and you'll see how different he is to the biblical Jesus. So for Jehovah's Witnesses, first of all, Jesus didn't exist. Jehovah existed alone as God. And the first thing Jehovah did was to create Jesus. But he created Jesus as the Archangel Michael. And alongside Jehovah, the Archangel Michael created everything else in the world. That's what they believe. They will have one or two scriptures they will take you to to try and prove this. But always remember with these guys, they quote things out of context. And they're actually feeding you watchtower theology, not biblical truth. So whenever they say something to you and you think, man, they've got a point there. Don't believe it. Just say, I'll have to get back to you. I need to go and speak to my pastor, Gary, who will give me all the answers to your questions. And let him show you that they've quoted out of context or they've got it wrong. Don't ever believe they're right, because they're not. But they can fool you very easily with some of these scriptures. So he didn't exist. Then he was the Archangel Michael. Then he came for the time for, for the, the Holy Spirit to place Jesus in the womb of Mary. So apparently, according to their theology, the Archangel Michael just vanished off the scene. Gone. Nowhere to be found. He's gone. It's like just forgotten. Remembered in Jehovah's memory is what they say. So then the man, child, Jesus, was placed in the, in the womb of Mary. When Jesus was born, though, he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't Savior until his baptism. The Gospel of Luke right at the beginning says, Today in David's city is born Christ the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah. So he was Christ at his birth. He didn't just become the Christ or the Messiah at his baptism as they teach. Then, when he died on the torture stake to these guys, what happened to Jesus? Well, Jesus was non-existent for three days and three nights. He was nowhere. He'd gone completely. One of their older articles in, in one of their Watchtower magazines says that Jesus was dissolved into gases by Jehovah. Show me a Bible verse for that one. Not sure where that one is. Never read that one. But he was non-existent for three days and three nights. And then after three days, he's raised again spiritually, not physically, to be the Archangel Michael again. Does this sound like the biblical Jesus to you? I don't think so. Look at this verse here. There's somebody being confused. Um, Hebrews 13.8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Well, not according to Jehovah's Witness theology. This is not the biblical Jesus. Friends, I've had some people say to me, some well-meaning Christians say to me, well, I've met some Jehovah's Witnesses. I've got Jehovah's Witness neighbors, and they're lovely people, moral, trying to follow the Bible the best they can. So surely God would, you know, save them. Not if you've got the wrong Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, they have the, a false Christ, they have a false gospel. These people are lost and they need to come to Jesus. The biblical Jesus, the true Jesus. So this is how they see things. This is their unholy trinity, as it were. 
They have God the Father, who's Jehovah. They have Jesus the Son, who was created, a kind of lesser God. And then they have the Holy Spirit, who is just an impersonal force. Uh, We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in a moment. But let's think about Watchtower Salvation. Um, The Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a two-tier salvation. So what you have is a limited number of 144,000 are going to heaven... And they link, this is what cults do as well. You've got to be careful of this. And, you know, we can fall into this trap sometimes as well as Christians. Is they'll take, like, the number 144,000, which is found in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, and they'll link it with another verse in Scripture that's got absolutely nothing to do with it. So they'll say, well, when Jesus was talking about his little flock in Luke 12, 32, that's the 144,000. But you look in Luke 12, and Jesus is calling his disciples the little flock. He's, he's speaking to his disciples. They're just like a little group of people. Nothing at all to do with 144,000. The vast majority, 99.9% of Jehovah's Witnesses who you encounter, who knock on your door, will not believe they're going to heaven. They believe they have an earthly hope. And again, they see the great crowd mentioned again in, in, uh, in Revelation 7, Revelation 19. And they link it to John ten sixteen when Jesus said, there are other sheep that, of, of another fold which also must come in. Speaking about the Gentiles that are going to come into the church, the non-Jews. But they've linked it together. So they say, little flock, they're going to heaven, 144,000. Other sheep, great crowd, paradise earth. Let me tell you this very quickly. I'll try and get far too much in tonight, so I do apologize. But uh, you need to know. Um, So for Jehovah's Witnesses, how do they know? How do you know if you're one of the 144,000? So this is what happens. Easter time every year, they have what they call a memorial meal. Anybody ever recall getting a leaflet through your door inviting you to a memorial meal? They do come round. It's a public event. They try and get the public to go. And they give you this invite. And it's the only time during the year when they will take what we would call communion. But what happens is, The communion bread and wine is passed around the congregation and no one partakes and then it comes all the way back to the front again. It's the bizarrest thing because you're only allowed to partake if you believe you are one of the 144,000. So it goes out, comes back. I've only ever seen two people take it. And, um, you know, at one time, I haven't got time to get into all the doctrinal changes of the Jehovah's Witnesses. You'll have to invite me back for that one um, and everything. But um, needless to say, at one time, you had to be a certain age to be a member of the 144,000. But that's all changed now because of false doctrine and stuff. So, you know, if a young person took it and they weren't of a certain age, they'd probably get a clip around the ear all of, of, of the elder and saying, what are you taking it for? Um, but, and the older people, so long as they're in good standing in the congregation, that is, they're out doing their door knocking, they're tithing, they're doing all the things they should do, and they partake of it. It could be believed that they actually were one of the 144,000. Now, because of the changes, just again, just a funny thing. The, when, when the last time I went to a memorial meal, um, which is just recently, actually, I think it might have been this year's one, somebody took part... And um, every time I go, my wife says to me, well, you should take it because you're going to heaven. So I can imagine that if I'd have taken it in the kingdom hall, but I don't go to cause trouble. And, um, but this person took it, so I spoke to one of the elders afterwards, and I said, that person took it, so you know, they're, they're definitely one of the 144,000. He says, well, we, we don't know. And I says, well, what do you do about it? He says, well, we don't do anything. It's between that person and Jehovah. And I said, well, surely... The 144,000, which they believe to be a literal number, is full up by now. Because they record it every year in their yearbooks. So you can go back years and years, and it used to be between eight and 12,000 every year around the world took part. So you only need 12 years of 12,000, and then it's full. But now you look in their yearbooks, and it's 15,000, 16,000. And I said, why the increase, and how come it's not full? No lie, this was his answer to me. He said, well, some people were called to a heavenly hope, but they've left us. They've become apostate. And so 
there are now vacancies in the 144,000. What? Absolutely crazy, isn't it? Vacancies. So if you want to sign yourself up for one of those vacancies, don't do it. There are also false prophets as well. They will deny this. They'll say, we have never, ever, ever made a prophecy about anything. Don't you believe it? The trouble with the Jehovah's Witnesses is that there's a paper trail with these guys. There's so much into being published in literature that you can find it there. So their biggest year for false prophecy was back in 1975. And what happened there was they believed that Jesus would return in 1975. If you look at their statistics from 1968 right up to 1975, this skyrocket in terms of activity, door knocking, people joining them, people being baptized. Uh, uh, there was reports of people selling their houses and, and you know, sort of renting somewhere because they didn't need that money anymore. They left their jobs, all this kind of stuff. And then it never happened. And because of that, around about a quarter of a million JWs left the organization. Now, do people leave the organization? Do a quarter of a million people leave the organization on the basis that the Watchtower Society just said, well, it might happen? No. They were told it will happen. It will happen. The end is coming, and it's coming really soon. And if you want to get through it, you need to work your socks off. And be faithful to Jehovah. So false prophets. I've got lots of their documents like this. Sometimes you get to a point in a discussion with Jehovah's Witnesses where it's good to bring this stuff out. Because they've been told not to take your literature. They want you to take theirs, of course. But they don't want to take your literature. But if you give them their own literature and say, look, this is from the Watchtower. Then there's a chance they might take it and look at that with you. This is what it says in in the Bible, again, from their Bible. I try and use their Bible where I can, because again, it's got more clout with them. But it says this, when a prophet speaks in the name of Jehovah, and the word is not fulfilled or does not come true, then Jehovah did not speak that word. The prophet spoke it presumptuously. You should not fear him. So their party line now is to say to someone like me, they'll say, well, Tony, we just made a mistake. Have you never made a mistake? And of course, I will say, no, I've never made a mistake. I'm from Yorkshire. We don't make mistakes in Yorkshire. No, I don't say that. So of course, I made a mistake, but there's a difference. And I often give a, a, a strange or silly illustration. So I might say something like, if I said in five minutes' time, it's going to rain ice cubes outside, and it doesn't, then in five minutes' time, you can turn to me and say, Tony, you are a rubbish weatherman. But if I say, thus says Jehovah, in five minutes' time, it's going to rain ice cubes outside, then I'm not just a poor weatherman, I'm a false prophet. Why? Because I used the name Jehovah. And this is one of these verses in their Bible, which is great, because who are the only people, according to them, that's speaking in the name of Jehovah in the world today? It's them. So when it says Jehovah in their Bible, it's only talking about them. I don't speak in the name of Jehovah. I don't know anybody else does. It's just you guys. So you guys are the false prophets. And there's lots of things that they've made dates and done all kinds of things and changed their teaching over the years. Um, that's a, it's just a quick overview of, of some of the things. And granted, I won't better go over everything, but we can have a bit of question and answer. But I, wanna, I want you to think about this. Uh, why do we have a difficult time sharing the gospel with Jehovah's Witnesses? There's a picture of me before I began ministering to Jehovah's Witnesses. I had a lot of hair. And uh, you feel like you want to pull your hair out and bang your head against a wall. Anybody ever had a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness and felt like that? Yeah, just like you're like, what on earth? I'm getting nowhere with these guys. They're not even listening to me. So I want to give you some insight of what's going on in their head. And that will really help you then when you're speaking to them. Let me give you an example of this. When I um, joined the Jehovah's Witnesses a number of years ago, uh, this was the book that I studied with them. It was called You Can Live Forever in Paradise on Earth. There's been different versions of that book, but it's all the same stuff. The latest one, you'll see it on their little trolleys. If you see them with their carts, it's called What Does the Bible Really Teach? And they're all the same stuff. It's all the same stuff, just in a, a newer form. And this is how you get indoctrinated into the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I was given that book. Well, let's, start, let's just backtrack a little bit. 
they offer you, as a householder, a free home Bible study. But you don't get a Bible study. You get a Watchtower book study. And I think if ever you wanted to go down that road with them, that's quite fun as well. To say, yeah, I'll have a Bible study with you. And when they turn up and they give you that book, say, well, that's nice. I'll look at that later. But let's get our Bibles out because we're having a Bible study, aren't we? But they don't study the Bible without Watchtower literature. And what happens is right from the start, they have um, a methodology which indoctrinates you. And it sounds really crazy and really simple. And like, you know, it wouldn't work on a primary school kid, but it works. And what they do is you, you begin to look. You, you look at the, the chapters and you read a paragraph. And then at the end of each paragraph, there's a question at the bottom of the page. And then you'll be asked the question. And then to find the answer to that question, you will go back to the paragraph. And you will answer the question from the paragraph. Throughout all these chapters, there are Bible verses dotted here and there. And for someone like me who had no biblical upbringing, no, no understanding of what the Bible taught, I just believed I was learning the Bible. So I was answering their questions from their book. So I wasn't learning the Bible, I was learning Watchtower theology. And it's surprising how well that works. And you know, within a couple of weeks, you are beginning to think like them and see things like them. On a a few occasions in, in recent times, I've spent time with Jehovah's Witnesses, and I've said, I will go through your book with you. What does the Bible really teach? If you do that, the first couple of chapters you won't disagree on very much. Very basic stuff. Is there a God? Why should we trust the Bible? All this kind of stuff. But then you get very quickly into the name Jehovah, and they'll show you in the Bible where it is, and they'll show you verses where, you know, it says, sanctify your name, Lord. Jesus said, I've made your name known. He must have a name. And they'll very quickly get you into the idea that God's got a name, and it's Jehovah. And then I think it's maybe chapter 4, maybe in 3 in the book, that's when you get onto Jesus. And that's where the fun begins if you start share, going through this with them. But what I found is if I get straight onto things with them, they get very defensive. But if they will allow you to do this, and it's getting harder and harder for me to do this now because they know me and Google me and stuff like that. But it, if you can build a little bit of a friendship up with a Jehovah's Witness first, what you can't say in the beginning, you can say in a couple of weeks' time. And they'll, because you've built up a little bit of a relationship and a friendship with them. But we'll talk more about that in a while. So here's what's happening. You go through one of their books and you start to learn things, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. They told me that I will live on a paradise earth if I join them. Another thing as well, which is a, a really, you know, doctrine of demons. And this is what they told me. The reason I was interested in, in what life was all about and was searching, is because my mum died really suddenly. I was only 21 when she died, so that's just two years ago now. And, um, thank you. And, um, and suddenly, I never thought about, is there a God? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? I, I had all these questions. And so they said to me, when I began meeting with them, they said, this is how it works, and this is what they believe. They believe that if you die, if we die before Armageddon, before the end of the world, we will be resurrected back to the paradise earth, that's all of us, and be given a second chance to become a faithful follower of Jehovah. Now, my mum had died, so therefore she's going to get this second chance on the paradise earth. I'm only 21, and it looks like I might not die for a while, but the end is coming really soon. So if I want to see my mum again, what do I have to do? I have to buy a suit and a shirt and a tie and a briefcase and go and knock on doors. I have to work my socks off to please Jehovah so that I may survive Armageddon, which is coming really soon, and then I will be reunited with my mum. What a lot of nonsense. And, you know, basically they're, they're teaching this stuff. Uh, I was talking to a couple of uh, Lady JWs on the street just recently, and I was going through this thing with them. And I said, well, look, you know, the best thing you can do, if what you, you believe is, you're saying is true, what you're, you're saying, the best thing you can do is pack your car up and go home. 
Because if you leave everybody around Bradford City Centre alone and they die, they will get a second chance on a paradise earth. But if you introduce them to Jehovah and they come and join you, there's a chance they could be lost because they might not do enough. So leave people alone. Just let them get on with their life. And that's basically what they're teaching. It's a nonsense, unbiblical nonsense. So paradise earth is where we're going to be, and that's where the great crowd are going to exist. Now, let me tell you how they think. This is a good thing to do with JWs. You'll love this. Do this with them. Ask them where they're going to be in the future after Armageddon, and they will say, on the earth. Ask them it a few times. Get them to say it a few times. Say, well, look, so what you're saying to me is, after Armageddon, if you survive Armageddon, you're going to be on the earth. Is that right? And they'll say, yeah. So you're part of the great crowd, and you believe the great crowd are going to be where? On the earth. So the great crowd are definitely going to be on the earth. Get them to say it a few times. And they'll say it a few times, yes, the great crowd's going to be on the earth. We're going to be on the earth. And then say, can you just, have you got a Bible with you? And they'll get their Bible out and say, can you just turn to Revelation chapter 19 and verses 1 and 2 and just read it to me, please, from their Bible. So this is what it says in their Bible. It says, after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great crowd in heaven. They said, praise Jah, the salvation and the glory and the power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. So you say, well, where does the Bible say the great crowd's going to be? And you know what they'll say? On the earth. And you say, wait, oh, sorry, I must, must have misheard what you read. Can you just read that? Read that verse one again for me and get them to read it again. The sound of a great crowd in heaven. So sorry, where do you say the great crowd's going to be? You know what they'll say? On the earth. And you suddenly realize what you're dealing with. What is going on in their mind? What's plainly before their eyes, they will deny. You're putting them in a place where their doctrine is, is directly contradicting Scripture, and yet they won't have it. And you push it and say, well, look, the Bible says the great crowd's in heaven. Why do you say it's on the earth? And they'll come up with all kinds of things, and you suddenly realize that these people who keep telling us that we just follow what the Bible teaches. We just follow scripture. That's all we do. Actually do nothing of the sort. And what they follow is the watchtower society. And that's the problem. And that's what's going on in their heads. And they don't even realize it. So you get the JW on your door. You start sharing all these things with them. uh, Because uh, Tony told you to. Uh, Bible verses, false prophecies and everything. And what happens a wall suddenly comes up, and they're not listening, and you begin to think, what's happening? And this is the reality, that the Jehovah's Witnesses are captive to a concept. They are captive to a concept. Does anybody know who this guy is? Seen him before? Looks a little bit like Elvis, but it's not him. He's a guy, it's because you're all too young, obviously, that's why you don't know who he is. Back in the 1970s, the Reverend Jim Jones, yeah, um, was a a cult leader, took a large group of people to Guyana, and there they ended up drinking um, poison. On his say-so, they all committed suicide. I think it was over 900 people um, drunk that Kool-Aid, as they called it. And they died. You know why they took that? You know why they committed suicide? Because they believed Jim Jones was the mouthpiece of God. They believed he was the mouthpiece of God. They were captive to that concept that Jim Jones spoke for God. And it got the, it was so much in their head that he did that even when he said, drink the Kool-Aid, they did it. That's shocking, isn't it? Does anybody know who this guy is? More recent in the 90s? Yeah, David Koresh of the Branch Davidians. And he... Uh, was holed up in Waco in Texas in a compound and disaster struck as, as uh, the authorities tried to break in there and many people lost their life. Many people killed themselves believing that David Koresh was the mouthpiece of God. He, they were captive to that concept. This is how it works in cults. What about the Jehovah's Witnesses? The Jehovah's Witnesses are captive to the concept 
that these seven guys called the governing body speak for God. And they alone speak for God. And so it matters not what we say. The governing body, they believe to be seven very spiritual guys who Jehovah speaks to and uses to lead the organization. And so they, they have this idea of these guys sat around a table, studying their Bible, praying and everything. It's nothing of the sort. A number of years back, um, a guy called Raymond Franz, I think this was in the 1970s, he was the nephew of the then president of the Watchtower Society, a guy called uh, Fred Franz. And um, Ray Franz got to be on the governing body. And he had this image of the governing body. Yeah, they're always meeting and praying and everything. He found nothing of the sort. He found that they were just making up decisions as they went along. And it really, really threw him in a spin. And eventually he left. He wrote a book called Crisis of Conscience. Really eye-opening book about this governing body. Who were nothing like he thought they would be. And so this governing body rule Jehovah's Witnesses. This is what it says from their website, jw.org. They call these governing body uh, guys the faithful and discreet slave. This is the faithful and discreet slave was appointed over Jesus' domestics in 1919. That slave is a small composite group of anointed brothers serving at world headquarters during Christ's presence who are directly involved in preparing and dispensing spiritual food. When this group work together as the governing body, they act as the faithful and discreet slave. Now, I think it's in Matthew 24, around about 43 to 45, Jesus talks about who is the faithful and wise one or the faithful and discreet slave who I will find when I come. And again, he's just talking about as being faithful on his return. But they've taken this phrase and they've likened it or linked it to these guys. So these guys rule the roost. So they're captive to the concept that the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses are God's mouthpiece on the earth today. And we've seen what happened with Jim Jones. We've seen what happened with David Koresh. Don't, you know, um, think that this can't happen to these guys as well. You know, if the governing body get to a place where they feel threatened, where, where they feel the whole thing's collapsing, they give an order, people will follow that order. They will follow that order. A thing to ask a Jehovah's Witness sometimes is say, well, look, say that, you know, the, the governing body in the Watchtower Society say this is what the Bible says, but then you look in the Bible and you, you see it says something different. Which one would you follow? And they'll always say the Bible. But then they'll say, but the governing body never gets it wrong. But then they get new light to change things that were wrong. So it's just completely crazy. But they're captive to this concept that these guys are in control. The Watchtower organization is God's only channel of communication to the world. Oh my goodness, jumping a lot. Look at those shoes. They make a big thing about JW.org now. Often they don't want to talk to you even on the streets. They'll point you to their website. Um, on all their kingdom halls in recent years, they've got a sign, jw.org, for you to go to their website. Everything's on the website because they're trusting the Watchtower Society. Here's a, a quote from the Watchtower back in 1973, but it's still in force today. Yes, we should be deeply appreciative of all the fine spiritual food that the faithful and discreet slave class have been providing through the Watchtower now for 94 years. And the reality is, the spiritual food, the fine food, you mean the false prophecies, the, the changing doctrine, that's that spiritual food, that leading you away from Christ rather than towards him, all that fine food that they've been feeding you, but they're sold on this idea. So for a Jehovah's Witness, everything is explained and understood from the standpoint that the society is God's organization. It is the governing body, the faithful and discreet slave, who have the truth. So all that comes from Christendom, that's us, is thereby false. So it doesn't matter how much you appear to know the Bible. It doesn't matter how many verses of Scripture you show them. It doesn't matter how many false prophecies you give them. You're from false religion. You're from Christendom. You're of the devil. So I will not listen to you. And what you find with Jehovah's Witnesses, the moment you start talking about the organization, 
is when you start to lose them. But we've got to talk about the organization. They'll maybe talk some scripture with you, some other things. But the moment you start talking about the organization is when you find they get upset. And they suddenly have another appointment elsewhere. And have to leave your doorstep very quickly. And this is why. Because for them, Jehovah is father, Jesus' son, and Watchtower is mother. So when you're having a go at the Watchtower Society, it's like you're having a go at their mum. This is what it said in, in one of their articles. It said, in this way, Paul identifies Jehovah's wife as his invisible universal organization, the mother of Christ and of his joint heirs. So you're attacking their mum when you say anything about the Watchtower Society. How bizarre. But the reality is God's organization only exists in the mind of Jehovah's Witnesses. They will try and show you things from Scripture. They'll say, well, the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, that, that was God's organization back then. No, it was a council meeting to decide what to do about the Gentiles coming into the church. But no, for them, it's an organization. You have to have an organization to understand the Bible. So we can't understand the Bible without Jehovah's organization in mind, is what they'd say. I'm going to skip that very quickly because we, we've run out of time and I know you want to ask some questions. So how, how do we go about sharing the gospel with Jehovah's Witnesses? Um, let me just give you a few tips. Again, none of these are, are you know, definitely going to work, uh, but they're all seeds to be sown. And that's what I encourage you to do, to sow seeds. You never know how the Holy Spirit can use them to draw people out of these groups. You can share scripture with them, but don't start with the Trinity. Don't go there. Even if you feel really confident and you know how to explain it and how to prove it biblically and all this kind of stuff, just don't start with, there with them because that's often where they want to start. So don't start with that scripture. Just share any kind of scripture with them. You can show them scriptures about all kinds of things, about how a person's saved. You can show them scriptures about Christ, challenge them with things, let the word of God speak to their hearts. But don't get too quickly into a debate with them about the Trinity. You know, when I was with the Jehovah's Witnesses, that was my big thing, like it is for many Jehovah's Witnesses. And part of the reason I came out of the Jehovah's Witnesses, well, yeah, it was clearly of the Holy Spirit, ultimately. But I began a new job, and I met a guy there who was a Christian. I heard he was a Christian. He sat in his office every dinner time by himself, just reading a book, eating his sandwiches. But I was one of those Jehovah's Witnesses that... You didn't wait for a discussion to happen. I just went barging in. And I said, you know, I understand you're a Christian. What kind of Christian are you? He said, I'm a Baptist. I said, never mind. And uh, I said, you know, so can you answer a question? He said, yeah, what is it? And I said, can you explain the Trinity to me? And he couldn't. And I said, well, you know why you're struggling to explain it to me, David? It's just not true. And I pulled out my Bible and delivered all my proof texts to prove it wasn't true. And he, he couldn't answer it. So I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm the winner. I'm right, obviously. You know, I've shown him from the Bible. This guy can't answer that. But how many of us, if we're honest, are ready for that kind of question? And we'll suddenly go, yes, let's go for it. Open our Bible, all our Trinitarian proof texts. He couldn't answer that. But what happened over a period of time is that David was a really lovely guy. Very sort of softly spoken, gentle guy. And that used to wind me up because I wasn't. And I thought, I like him, but what he believes is rubbish. And this is what he did from the moment he met me. He had his entire church praying for me. He got people praying for me. You need to get people praying for them. If you meet a Jehovah's Witness, get their names, and then tell people in your church, have a little prayer group, whatever it is, say, can I just give you these names of these Jehovah's Witnesses I've been talking to? Please pray for them. And he tried to get me to go to church. JWs are not going to come into a church. Mormons will. Uh, be careful of that. But JWs won't come to the church, so that wasn't going to happen. He said, do you want to meet my wife and my, and my children? I've told them all about you. Come for a meal. So I wasn't sure about that either, but I spoke to the elder at the Kingdom Hall, who said to me, Tony, go along. It'd be great to go along. Take some literature. Take a watchtower and a wake. When you get there, so you need the toilet and then stick them in, in his bathroom. Leave them there for me. Just get in there with your literature. Just get in the house. So I went along. And I, this is when the first time I realized that Christians don't always tell you the truth either. 
because he had three Christians from his church there for tea as well. But I loved that. I was well up for a fight. But what I didn't realize is afterwards when we withdrew to the living room, that they were going to start praying. Now you've got to know as a Jehovah's Witness, to be in that position, you feel you've blown it with Jehovah. You've lost any chance of being saved. I fall into the devil's trap. Can't have these guys praying with me. I shouldn't tell you this because I don't want you to get rid of Jehovah's Witnesses from your doorstep, really. But if you want to get rid of them, you say, can I pray with you? And see how quickly they run out of your garden. Uh, Prayer from Christendom, not for me. So I was very upset with David. I managed to get a lift home from someone else. And it soured our relationship for a little bit. But suddenly I was looking, even in my New World Translation, and seeing a few things differently in there. And I'd go to the kingdom hall and say to the elders, what does this mean? And they always refer you to their literature. And so I, I, um, I, I looked at their literature. I was not satisfied. And it was the beginning of me waking up and the Holy Spirit working in my life. And it all ended for me as I went with David to Bradford University after a number of months later. Uh, I didn't go to church, but I went there. I was curious. I was in a place of thinking, I want to know a little bit more about what he's saying. And it was there that for the first time I really heard the gospel. And we sung some amazing songs. I remember crying that night just through the music. The Jehovah's Witnesses songs are so boring. They're terrible. They've got their own songbook. They're dreadful. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, I went. I was moved. I, I got counsel. People pray with me. I came home confused, praying, Jehovah, what is true? I'm confused. I don't know. Eventually fell asleep, but woke up the next morning with just so much peace that I'd never experienced in my life. And it was like I didn't know the Wesley hymn. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. But it was like that hymn was written for me. And suddenly all this stuff had fallen away. And almost immediately I knew Jesus was God. Not that I could open my Bible suddenly and say, there you go, there you go, there you go. But it's interesting how you go from not seeing Jesus as God and the Trinity anywhere to seeing it everywhere in the Bible. And uh, I ended up leaving. Clearly went to his church and uh, had some interesting meetings with them after that where I just explained I'd become a Christian now. And um, so that's, that's what happened for me. Share scripture. He shared scripture with me, David. I can't remember what it was or anything, but I began to see some things differently in the Bible. Uh, very quickly, again, um, ask them some questions about their Bible, uh, the New World uh, Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Um, you could ask them who translated your Bible. Uh, they don't know the answer to that. Um, they've been told that the people that translated it are scholars. And, and uh, you know, very uh, good in the original languages. But they don't want their names revealed because they don't want any glory to go to them. So I often say to them, well, look, you know, if I'd have translated your Bible, I want to keep my name secret as well. Because, you know, it's, it's a mess. And why are you trusting this Bible when you don't know the qualifications of those who've translated it? I could find you, you know, the, the guys that translated my Bible and their qualifications if you want. Why do you trust that? but they trust it. But it's not a translation anyway. They just took a Bible and they've changed things all over the place within it. Um, you could ask him this question. Why does the, your Bible add the name Jehovah in the New Testament when it's not found in the Greek? In the, in the New Testament, the name Jehovah is found nowhere in the Greek, in the manuscripts, but they've put it in everywhere. Um, we haven't got time to get into this so much, but just to make you aware that they've added words in as well to change the meaning and it's always to do with Jesus. So in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, they've added the word other four times. I think, have I got that on the slide? So you can see here. So this is, they've got a kingdom interlinear translation. If you're aware of an interlinear, it has the Greek with the, the, the English underneath. And then they've got their translation there. And you look here, panta means all or all things. They've added the word other. So what it actually says in their Bible is, that he is the image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn of all creation, uh, for by him all other things were created. Because they believe Jesus himself was the first to be created. So it's a theological bias that they've added the word other in. If you take the word out, other there, it says in verse 16, because by means of him, Jesus, all things were created. All things. 
You see, they can't have it saying that because they believe Jesus was created by Jehovah. They'll say, well, it just modernizes things. It just makes it make more sense. No, it doesn't. Again, I often use a crazy example. I'll say, imagine I start a new job and I get a contract of work. And it says, Tony, if you work every day this week, we'll give you a thousand pounds. And then I go home and decide to stick the word other in there. Tony, if you work every other day this week, you'll get a thousand pounds. It doesn't make it more clearer. It changes its meaning completely. And that's what they've done. Be aware of that. We haven't got time for this. I can send you notes and stuff if you email me. Don't worry. But again, just Jehovah in the Old Testament, things that are applied to Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, We can show them that. Uh, Five minutes to live is a a great thing to do with them. Again, I love doing this one. You may have heard of this before. came from a guy called Ray Comfort. But the idea is you meet some Jehovah's Witnesses on the street or on the door, and you say, can I ask you an hypothetical question? And they'll say, yeah, go for it. And say, right, just imagine. So I I do this in Bradford because they stand right outside the shopping center. So I come down the escalator and they're there. And I'll say, I've just come out of the shopping center and somebody stabbed me in the back. And I've got five minutes to live. And I'm not a religious person, but I see you guys standing here. No, you are. So I come up to you and I've got a question for you. And my question is, what must I do to be saved? It's amazing how difficult that is for Jehovah's Witnesses to answer. Because in their head... Well wait, well, wait a minute, you, you've got to have a Bible study with us and you've got to come to our kingdom hall and buy a suit and a briefcase and knock on doors and you, it's, it's all part of the package of being saved. So for them, it's really hard for them to answer. Now, if they're a little bit clued up, they will say what sometimes they do say. Well, if you die, you're okay because you're going to get a second chance. If they go there, then you can go down that road and discuss the nonsense with them. But often, they're, they're, they're confused. And what you do is you put pressure on them. Because as they're struggling to think of an answer, you can say, I've got four minutes left now, only four minutes left to live. And then as they're still struggling, three minutes, any chance to give me an answer soon? Be helpful. Two minutes. They sometimes come to the place of saying, well, wait a minute, the thief on the torture stake next to Jesus, you know, what, what did he do? And I said, that's a great question, isn't it? What did he do to be saved? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. They've changed that in their Bible. They've moved the comma. That's another story. What did he do? He didn't do anything apart put his faith in Christ. In his last moments, Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. That's all you need to do. But often, they're so confused by this question, you die before they give you a proper answer. And then you can say to them, what's the biblical answer to my question? Do you know there's a biblical answer? What must I do to be saved? Ask them to open their Bible, get them to read from Acts 16, I think it's around 28 to 35, give it a little bit of context. There's the Philippian jailer. Uh, Paul and Silas have broken out. The angels got them out of jail. He's fearful of his life, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What was Paul's answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Show them the scriptural answer to your question, and then say, that's all you need to do. And they'll try and take you to James, if that works, is dead or wherever. But hold them to that. That was Paul's advice to that Philippian jailer. Get them to see what Scripture says. Uh, yeah, there you go, 31. You can do that. Share your testimony is great. You know, we have the very thing they're longing for. They might look all smiley on your doorstep or at the carts. They've got all sorts of stuff going off in their life. Many of them get ill with the pressure of keeping up with the appearances and the workload, and the striving. I met a lady yesterday in Essex, of all places, who came up to me and said she was in the JWs for 25 years. And she said she had a nervous breakdown in the end. She said we were under so much pressure to do all this stuff because the end was coming. She said I was coming out in psoriasis. I had a breakdown and everything. She said I couldn't cope anymore. And she said, I, I thought, I can't go back. I, I was at a little breakout. And she saw a sign outside a church that, that had John 3.16 on it. And she said, I need to go and talk to someone. She went into church, met a Christian. Two weeks later, she was saved and born again. Praise the Lord. But she said, I was just worked to death. Share your testimony. Say things like this. You know, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, I had a peace which passes all understanding. I have an assurance of my eternal future. It's secure. You know, I can't do anything but just put my hope and my trust in him. And let them hear that and offer them 
that because that's what they need. Share your testimony. If nothing else, you should have a testimony of some sort. Share that with them. You can go down the false prophecies line if you want. Get in touch with me. I can send you some documents. You can hand out to them. Uh, prayer, really important. I mentioned that. You pray. Get others to pray for them. People are coming out. Be encouraged that they're coming out of the cults. And uh, it can happen. And the Holy Spirit, it's his work. You know, you're banging your head against the wall. You're pulling your hair out. You're thinking, I'm getting nowhere. But unless the Holy Spirit opens them up, they can't see it. They're blinded. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. They're dead in their trespasses and sins until the Holy Spirit works. But who knows, that testimony, that scripture... That little discussion you've had with them might be the very thing the Holy Spirit uses to keep them awake that night and starts an effect in their life where they're going to eventually come out sometime after. You may never know that until you get to heaven and they come running up to you and say, you know, you told me about Jesus. I saw a video clip recently of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses convention in the USA. One, One lady got up, she was in tears. She said, in all the time I was knocking on doors, Not once did a Christian tell me the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's shocking, isn't it? Friends, if we're not going to tell them who is, we've got to do it. Guys, Q&A very quickly because I've gone over time like I always do. Any any questions? Or have I covered everything so thoroughly that you're so all clued up now? Anything you want to know?